The gospel is our priority. The gospel of Jesus will always be first in our lives and in our message. We will say no to many good things in order to do what's most important. We refuse to let the message of the gospel be hijacked by anything else. In everything we do, whether in our large gatherings or simply a conversation over coffee, nothing will drown out the most important message we have, that Jesus is alive from the grave and willing to forgive, heal, and transform anything. The gospel is why we are alive. It's why we do what we do. It shapes our language and informs our focus. The gospel is our priority. All right. All right. Well... Well, welcome to the X. Um, I got to make some confessions here real quick. I've, uh, I've been at the X. This is my first church home. I'm 50 years old, right? This, one more confession, right? Uh, this is my first time ever doing this. So uh, if anything I say to you makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, don't worry. I'm the one here on stage with the mic. And we can change places anytime you want to. All right. So, so uh, how many, by show of hands, how many people are in a small group right now? Circle, small group. Fantastic. So, so I'm in a small group. I'm actually in two of them. And I, I got to tell you, it's the best experience ever if you want to get to know Christ. Right? So um, they, my small group on Thursday, we actually practice for this. They, they help me prepare for this, if you, if you will. So the gospel is our priority. And one of the questions that we asked was, you know, what, what is the gospel? Like, like, what does it mean uh, for the gospel? And so um, one of the quintessential verses in a Bible uh, on the gospel's message kind of sums it up is in John 3.16. And so you'll read it with me. It says, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This, this scripture embodies a promise in a gift. It only requires uh, an act of faith for us to, to walk in belief that the one who, who did this for us actually truly believes he can do this. Right? <clears throat> but it's, it's not just that. It's like so, so much more than that. See, see the body, the, the, the gospel is a lifestyle, right? Where it, it begs to be shared with everybody that it comes in contact with. Um, so it's not only a story to be, to be told, but, but, but the testimony of the witnesses that will come to hear and accept and begin to walk this life out, this newness in Christ. So today, I'll, I'll ask you three questions. One, why is the gospel good news to you? Second, I'd like to know how you've seen the gospel as a priority here at the X. And then third, I'm going to ask you to lean in and I'll ask you to commit to telling this story and sharing it with others. My prayer is that if you haven't seen the power of Christ in your life, that today you make it a priority to get an introduction. So, so why is the gospel good news? So I'll sum it up in a, in, a, in a story. So I'll set the scene here for a second. You're in a courtroom and you see this 19-year-old kid standing in front of this judge in his most commanding and authoritative voice, he looks at him and he tells him, I know you're guilty, and by law, I have to give you 20 years. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like that where you just freeze, right? You can see your life pass before your eyes, right? But then, 
Somebody say, but then. But then then he turns and he looks at me and he goes, but today I'm going to break the law. Today I'm going to break the law. Have have any of you experienced God's mercy? I mean, do you know what that is? Yeah? It didn't stop there. See, that was a restart. See, in that life that he allowed to end, here's what he did. I was able to see two sons come to Christ, baptized right here at the X. A daughter come to Christ, baptized right here at the X. A cousin come to Christ, baptized right here at the X. My best friend come to Christ through my story. My brother-in-law, contemplating suicide, agnostic, three months ago, now came to Christ, gave his life. So you see here at the X, the gospel is our priority. How do we do that? Well, first, we know Christ. It's first step, first priority. But then we serve. We see people before the problems that brought us here. We have a home for the lost. We give. And we do this in a presentation that's excellent and honoring of the God that did this for us. My brothers and sisters over here, they're going to embody those, those values. To us, it shows how we follow Christ. But not just there, you'll also experience it when you dive into our small groups. You see, our small groups shows the testimony of the gospel and how it brought them to the X. Like one sister told me, uh, her past church experience, right, left her feeling like she was lost in space, right? But then she came to the X and she realized that the power of the message was so strong, she felt like she was the only one in the room. Or, or, or another sister who said that she had, uh, in her prior church, experienced this, this shame and this, this fear, Right? But she says she came here and she experienced the joy that was promised in Christ. Or, or a last sister who told me, hey, listen, I want to go to a church that when I feel broken, I still want to come and be made whole. She found that right here at the X. See, there's a, uh, there's a power that comes when two or more gather in his name, friends. That power is for you. That power is for me. That power is for us. So then I'll ask you the last question. Will you share it? I mean, will you tell this story to someone that you love? See, when I leave out of here today, I'll be heading to Michigan to a funeral. A cousin of mine's. Three years ago, that cousin came to an ex-church men's retreat. I shared the gospel with him. I asked him. And will you, you receive this, this good news? And, and I remember his response like five seconds ago. He says, I'm not ready yet. See, I know that Jesus told the Father, I've never lost one that you put in my hand. Right? But when the gospel's message comes to you, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to receive it. Don't hesitate to share it. You see, the gospel is our priority here. But friends, if you don't know Jesus... Today, make it the priority for you. Thank you. People are our purpose. People matter to God and therefore matter to us. We believe everyone is born with deep, intrinsic value 
made in the image of God. So we never want to speak to people without kindness in our tone and faith in our voice. We never want to be too busy to see people. We never want to become blind to living treasures all around us and the God potential inside of them. Every single person that walks through our door is someone Jesus died to rescue. We place a higher value on people than systems and programs. People are our purpose. Well, good morning. You're all looking really good this morning. You know that? In fact, why don't you take a look around at the people around you? They're looking good. This place is full of people. In fact, we live in a really people-y world. Um, I think God designed it that way on purpose because God loves people. He loves all people. And after loving him first, he wants us to love people next. And that's why people are a purpose is one of our values. It's the heart of God. When I think of people of our purpose, there's a little story in the Bible that comes to me. It's about a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And what that meant is he collected taxes on behalf of the Roman government who was oppressing the Israelites, and he was collecting taxes from his fellow Israelites. And not only was he collecting taxes, he was adding some on top for himself and keeping it. So he was not a favorite person. Now, Jesus came to the town where Zacchaeus was, and he got really excited because he had heard about him and wanted to go see him. And so he, like, ran on ahead. Well, let me read the story to you. It's in Luke 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come on down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. One of the things I see in the story is that Zacchaeus called, um, that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. When someone calls you by name, that's really, really special. And um, it brought to mind a, uh, something that happened to me at a women's retreat a number of years ago. Um, I was on the team, and one of the things we did is we prayed with people. And at the end of one of the sessions, a woman came up to me and asked for prayer. She said her name was Michelle. She shared her prayer concern. I laid hands on her. She cried. The Holy Spirit fell. It was amazing, you know. And um, later that day, we were waiting to go into our meal, and I saw her across the room. And I thought, you know, I probably ought to go check on her. You know, she's an older lady. I want to make sure she's all right. So I look at her across the room, and I go, Michelle. And she doesn't turn around. So I, got, I thought, well, I'm going to be a little closer. So I got a little closer. And I said, Michelle. And she still didn't turn around or acknowledge me. So I thought, well, she's got gray hair. She's old. Maybe her hearing isn't too good. So I got in front of her and I said, hi, how are you doing? And she kind of looked at me funny. But then I saw Linda come up who was on the team and I thought, ah, I will introduce Michelle to Linda. So I'm like, and I said, Michelle, this is Linda. Linda, this is Michelle. At which point, Michelle looks at Linda and says, 
Hi, Linda, my name is Phyllis. <laughs> now, how I got Michelle out of Phyllis, I do not know to this day, but I can tell you the rest of the weekend, every time Phyllis saw me, she came up and she said, hi, how are you? <laughs> I am certain she thought that I, I had a hearing problem <laughs> and I really don't, but if I get your name wrong, it's not because I have a hearing problem, it's just because I'm not really good about names. But besides calling Zacchaeus by name, Jesus also saw him. He looked up and he saw him. Jesus saw people. He was so good at that. I mean, he saw the sinful woman who was weeping at his feet, wiping his feet with her hair as he, she washed it because of her tears. And he said, do you see this woman? And he called her daughter. He saw the man on the cross next to him. And he said, I will see you in paradise. Jesus saw people. When we say people are our purpose, that means we see people. You know, if you're here, yes, if you're here for the first time, we're going to see you in the landing, and we're going to help you get acquainted. You know, if you accept Jesus, we're going to see you at Next Steps because we want to give you some material and get you started on your walk with Jesus. You know, if um, you want to know how to get involved, we want to see you at Welcome to the X, and we'll help you get started serving. And if you want to connect with people and grow in your faith, then we want to see you in our circles. In fact, our building is great for seeing people. What about our foyer? Our foyer is amazing. Our foyer is like the living room of our church. We invite you in. We serve you some coffee. You know, we get to talk. We connect with you. Maybe you laugh. Maybe you cry. Maybe you just get to know someone for the first time. But you know, one of the other places I really like about this building is the ministry office upstairs. It has a whole wall of windows, and it overlooks Gender Road. And when I sit there and I look out the window, you know, I can see all the cars and buses and things go by. But the Lord always reminds me, don't just see the vehicles, see the people who are in there. There's people in there with stories who are broken, who are hurt, people who need Jesus. The Lord reminds me that what we do here is not just for us. It is for them. It is for our, the people that we see. So I have a question for you. Who does God want you to see? Who does God want you to see? It maybe is that grocery clerk, and instead of staring at your phone at the whole time while they're checking you out, that you look them in the eyes and say, how's your day going? Or maybe it's that coworker that really gets under your skin. And maybe you need to pray and ask God to help you see them the way that Jesus sees them. Maybe it's the person that you're a little estranged from. Maybe you need to see them and bridge the gap. Jesus was great at seeing people. He came to seek and save the lost. So people were his purpose. And because people were his purpose... They're our purpose, too. Thank you. Honor is our posture. Honor is a value deep in the heart of God, so it's deep in ours as well. Honor grows in the soil of the heart and bears fruit through our lives. Our conversations, tone, body language, facial expressions, 
These all display and communicate the level of our honor. We know that honoring others honors God. Therefore, we look for every opportunity to honor people with our words and our actions. We give honor to those God has placed over us, beside us, and under our care and leadership. Respect is earned, but honor is given. Honor is our posture. Respect is earned, but honor is given. It is our posture. Man, I just love that phrase. And before we get into what honor looks like in our church and outside of our walls, let's first define the word honor. And the word honor means to something held with great esteem. And when I think of honor, we think of something or something or someone that holds weight. Uh, maybe this is most of the time for me focused toward my people, parents, spouses, organizations, government officials, leaders, teachers, fill in the blank. But when I think of honor, um, me personally, I think about my wife. Uh, my wife is here today. It's so fun. Um, so I get to embarrass her for a sec. Um, not really. It's great. But man, the most honoring day of my life was my wedding day. Um, and I want to show you guys some pictures. Uh, I'm also going to make a fool out of myself. But um, I just cannot believe that I got to marry my wife, Lauren. Uh, we've been married for about a little over almost a year and a half now. So fun. So great. But I want to show you guys some pictures real quick of our wedding. Uh, the, probably the most memorable moment of my life was our first look. Um, and if you haven't seen the pictures yet, I'm just going to let you know right now, I sobbed. I cried like a baby. <laughs> so here's like me already crying. And then here's my wife. It's so great. Um, so I want to flip over to the next picture. There she is. She looks so pretty. Um, <laughs> so fun. And then flip to the next one. I turn around. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then do you want to flip it over again? Oh, my, I, I saw, I cry like a baby. I am not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of that. But man, that, that day was so fun. Um, but I want to forever hold that place of honor when it comes to my wife and her to me. When we treat people with honor, we allow them to know through our words and actions they are significant in the eyes of God. And when we don't treat people with honor, we don't see them as someone that is valued in the eyes of God. I learned, I mean, I haven't lived as long of a life maybe as some of you guys, but what I've learned in my life that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So what do we as Christ followers want to do? How do we want people to feel? We want people to feel honored. Uh, I also believe that the biggest enemy to honor isn't just disunity or maybe a disagreement you have with one person or another, but it's familiarity. And let me dive into that a little more. Um, familiarity does not create a sense of honor because that is when we take people for granted. If I become too familiar with my wife, maybe she'll get the bad attitude that maybe I come home with sometimes, or maybe when I'm hangry and like my emotions are not directed towards her, but she's getting all the negative side of me. I'm sorry about that, but that's just life. And sometimes when we get too familiar with a person, we totally forget that, wait, that's my wife. And I'm called to honor her and to love her from the day that I said yes to her. And I'm gonna to continue to say yes to her every day. So what does it look like in your life? <laughs> yes. What does it look like in your life to say yes to honor every single person that you interact with every single day? If you didn't know this as well, um, I have the honor of being a, a father-in-law to Pastor Tim, if you guys didn't know that. Uh, it is so great. I love being uh, um, <laughs> in the family with the lead pastor of this church. But you will never hear me call him Tim. 
You will always hear me call him PT, short for Pastor Tim, because he is my pastor. And I've become, if I become too familiar with him, uh, I may not honor with him with the way that I speak to him, or maybe I speak about him to other people. I always want to honor in every single circumstance that I can. And I really believe in us as Christ followers, we've seen it in our culture today, that there's a shift of dishonor instead of honor. But we here at X Church know that the spirit of honor is near and dear to the heart of God, so it's near and dear to us. We will always strive to create a culture of honor to every single person inside and outside of these walls. And here's what it looks like. Number one, we honor those that God has placed over us. I'm gonna read a scripture real, real quickly from Romans 13, verse one. It says this, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that exists has been established by God. So fill in the blank, every person in your life, whether it's your boss, whether it's your uh, teacher, students, you're called to honor your teachers, you're called to honor your parents. Amen, parents in the room? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, everyone that has a position of authority has been placed there by God. Dishonoring government leaders, teachers, even speaking ill of other leaders in our lives, it's not, we're not communicating that we're trusting that God placed them there for a reason. So with our words and with our actions, we are going to honor those that are above us. And number two, we honor those beside us. The people we serve alongside, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that we interact with every single day, they are all created and designed specifically in the image of God. So we are going to honor them. And even for those that maybe we don't agree with completely, um, oftentimes uh, I've seen in my in families and so many people uh, in our culture today that just because of politics, all of a sudden we strike people down for what they believe or we co completely condemn someone for having a different idea in us and we completely cut them off. That is not the heart of God, so that is not our posture. And then number three, we honor those under our care and leadership. In the book, uh, Matthew 20, um, you see that um, Jesus allowed people to sit with him and drink the, of the same cup of him. And as Jesus, the author and protector of our faith, you would think that he is high and set apart from us, but yet he would still come down and eat and drink from the same cup that we would. But the government officials looked at that and said, Jesus, how would you let that person eat with you? How would you let that person drink with you? What are you doing? But Jesus said that government officials lord over their authority over others, but Jesus said that we will not do that. We do not take our ability to lead and serve and hold it over people. We use our gifting and our talents, and we use it to honor others through our care and through our leadership. No matter rich or poor, no matter Democrat or Republican, red or blue, no matter social or economic status, color, creed, we honor others because it honors God and it is our posture. Thank you. Excellence is our presentation. God is in the details and so are we. We believe that excellence honors God and inspires others. We will steer clear of clutter, reject what is average, and stay away from status quo. We have a second mile spirit. We steward every space, meeting, and opportunity with an intentionality to display the beauty, attention, and creativity that flows from the heart of the Creator. Our preparation will dispel distraction in experiences, systems, and environments. 
The calling is significant, therefore nothing is insignificant. So we will be punctual, prepared, and present. We embrace the spirit of excellence. Through it, we will shine. Excellence is our presentation. Good morning. How many of you have worked a retail job? I have worked a ton of retail. In fact, my wife, um, Bethany, we met in the mall. Uh, I was her manager. I thought she was cute, but when she requested a weekend off for a youth retreat, I knew she was one worth pursuing. My favorite retail experience, though, was working at Apple. Uh, Bethany was pregnant with Wes at the time. I wanted to try to pay off as much debt before he was born. So I would leave my full-time job, and I would head over to Easton, and I would work at the Apple store. To me, Apple is retail excellence. Back in 2008, I don't think you could find a better retail experience. I remember it was, it was really a destination store. I remember when tour buses of celebrities would pull up out front of the store um, but why did I love working for Apple? A few things. Customer experience. It was a chance to get your hands on the greatest technology. Some of you need to visit an Apple store. You know those people with the green bubble in your group messages? Am I preaching now? They pay attention to the details. Did you know that Apple designs their boxes that when you open them? They're designed to open slowly so that you, to help build that anticipation. But most importantly, we were, we were expected to treat everyone with excellence. I want you to picture your favorite celebrity walking in this, in this church. How would your pastors or church staff members or servant leaders treat that person? I believe the same way they would treat that family member, that spouse, that neighbor that you've invited to church with excellence. Excellence is our presentation. Let me tell you what that means. God is in the details, and so are we. Back in November, Pastor Tim did a sermon, a sermon series called Origins, where he talked about us being a product of God's creation and the details of our DNA. Our servant leaders in the nursery are really good at this. Moms love details, especially new moms. Every baby will get their diaper changed. And on the diaper will be a sticker with the details of whether they were dry and, you know, you can fill out, figure out the rest. We believe that excellence honors and inspires others. A second mile spirit going the extra mile. Let me give you an example of that. Just yesterday, I got an audio message from Pastor Russ. Pastor Russ has been... Um, vital in helping us all get prepared for this. And I, I appreciate that from him. But he sends me an audio message, and I'm like, what does he need now? And all it was was an audio message with words of encouragement, and he prayed for me. That, to me, is an example of going the extra mile. In Matthew 5, 41, it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. The calling is significant. Therefore, nothing is insignificant. The coffee we serve, I honestly think it's the best coffee I'll have all week. It's roasted right here in Columbus, and some of their profits go to support initiatives to fight hunger. 
my wife had a, uh, a friend come here a couple weeks ago for an event. And when she returned to her seat after going to the restroom, she leaned over to her and said, the hand soap smells so good. We embrace a spirit of excellence. To me, embracing the spirit means having a good attitude. We should want to be excellent. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Excellence does not mean perfection. How many of you are familiar with the Enneagram? For those of you who are not, it's basically a personality test. There are nine different types of people, and there are healthy versions and unhealthy versions. I am an Enneagram One, often called a reformer or the idealist, but in, the, in probably the most popular book about the Enneagram, The Road Back to You, he calls it the perfectionist. I've had to learn that being perfect is the opposite of excellent. Perfectionism is about me, but excellence is about God. The Bible is full of stories of imperfect people. David, uh, a man after God's own heart, he was far from perfect. Jesus used a bunch of imperfect people, young and old, afraid and abused, to share his hope with the world. Now, what does excellent look like for you? Maybe it's accepting a challenge at work. Maybe it's finding a solution instead of complaining about a problem. Maybe it's simply making eye contact with someone and smiling. Now that we can all see each other's faces a little better now, maybe that's all we need to do. I grew up going to church. I went to a Christian high school and some of my friends, we considered it fun to go visit churches. I know it's kind of corny, but the more charismatic the church, the better. We were looking. So I've got a lot of church experience. I started coming to the X um, 12 years ago. Fell in love with this place. It is my favorite place in this entire world. And I have no reservations at all about inviting people here. Because... Over all these years, three things have never changed. I know that people will always be welcomed with love, treated with kindness, and most importantly, presented the gospel of Jesus in a way that honors God with excellence. Generosity is our privilege. Jesus gave it all, and so we will. We have freely received, so we freely give. In fact, the only natural response to God's irrational grace is a life of irrational generosity. We choose to be generous with our time, energy, and finance. Everything we have, from our breath to our wealth, is all a gift for us to stir for Jesus and people. So as a life sale of worship, we give him the first fruits the first and best of every area of our lives. This is how we reach thousands and we give away millions. We lead the way in our giving, sacrifice, and generosity. Generosity is our privilege. Good morning. So I know what you're thinking. 
Here it comes, the money talk. And um, I don't know what your church experience is, and maybe you associate generosity with the church wanting your money, but I'm here to tell you it is so much more than that. And generosity is at the heart of our Father. And when I think of his irrational generosity in my life and us, I can't help but think about the moment he created us as human beings. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created human beings in his own image. Then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Right out of the gate, God blessed us as human beings by giving us the power of free will, the right to farm, fish, hunt, and be pet owners. And for some of you, I could stop right there, but I'm going to keep going because when we become believers in Christ, his generosity explodes infinitely. That's right. Ephesians tells us that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens in Christ. In Romans, we are called co-heirs with Christ. Jesus' brother James tells us when it comes to wisdom, all we must do is ask and it is given to us generously. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God makes himself available to us 24-7. So yeah, he's pretty generous. Um, so when we better understand the source of generosity in our own lives. It's going to help us formulate our response. And I love that Pastor Trey and Jessica said last week, generosity is contagious because that's not a mistake. Um, and that's all God wants for us. He wants generosity to come in through us and go out to the world around us. All right, I have an exercise for us to prove my point. How many of you have ever been in a Starbucks drive through Okay, pretty much everybody, somebody probably this morning. All right, keep your hands up because we're going to keep going. All right, how many of you have ever had the car in front of you pay for your coffee? Yeah, it's a good day when that happens. Okay, and then how many of you then paid for the coffee in the car behind you? Yeah, hopefully your hands are still up. But yes, generosity is contagious. But how? What are some other ways that we can be generous? Well, I've broken it down into three categories for you, and the first being time. And time is my personal favorite. And being the kids director here at X Church, I have to tell you that I truly believe one of the best ways to be generous with your time is serving in our kids and youth ministry. That's right. <laughs> this next generation is so special. I think we know that. And what better way to serve them than to spark generosity in them? Um, Another way we can be generous is serving on other teams. They're not as much fun, but that's fine. Um, you can park cars. You can uh, be a greeter, join our outreach team, go on a mission trip. There are so many ways um, to share your time and be generous. Next up, talent. How can we be generous with talent? Well, my husband, Derek, um, he used to be a very talented football player in both high school and college. Um, and his knowledge of the game is actually quite impressive. So he shares his talent of the game of football by coaching and teaching others the game. Um, Pastor Russ is very talented in the martial arts. And well, if you know, you know. <laughs> 
Um, one of my best friends, Betsy, she's an amazing cook and baker, and she is always making amazing things for other people, sometimes those in need, and sometimes just because she is a great example of what it means to be generous with your talent. And last but not least, I said we'd talk about money, our treasure. And when I talk about treasure, I'm talking outside the tithe. The tithe we've kind of been talking about, the Bible tells us about the tithe, it's the first 10%, and that's our starting point. So when I'm talking about this, I'm talking outside the tithe, and there are so many ways to give outside the tithe. One of my personal favorites is you could sponsor a student to Passion Camp. Um, there are organizations where you can sponsor children in other countries, providing food, water, shelter, school supplies, all kinds of things. You can pay someone's bill at a restaurant, fill up a random stranger's gas tank. You can start the Starbucks drive through pay it forward coffee thing. That would be a great way. So what happens when we're generous? Second Corinthians chapter nine says this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Friends, when we're generous, we will be blessed. God wants to bless us. However, we must remember that we aren't giving to get, we get to give. And what I love about X Church is that you do not have to look very hard or far to find the generosity of this house. I don't know if you know this, but 10% of all tithes and offerings that come in go directly back out into our surrounding community. And when we, as part of this church family, switch our mindset to one of irrational generosity with our time, our talent, and our treasure, when we then see the baptisms every week, when we see the hands raised at salvation moments, when that toddler recites their first memory verse, when the preteen is learning how to worship and when the middle school or high school student makes Jesus the leader of their life, we have sown, we have sown into that moment and it strikes us in our heart of hearts, we know that everything we gave of our time, our talent, and our treasure, it was worth it. And we realize that generosity is our privilege. Servant leadership is our position. When Jesus was the most important leader in the room, he got on his hands and knees to wash feet. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve, and so will we. We've been raised to life and given a new destiny. Serving Jesus is now the greatest privilege of our life. No role is too small or beneath us. Our hands are open and our hearts are eager. That's not my job is not a phrase that exists. We get to lead because we choose to serve. This is why we use the term servant leader instead of volunteer. We elevate our calling over our gifting. We believe that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. We get to lead because we choose to serve. Servant leadership is our position. So, 
As a husband and a father of six daughters, there is one thing that I have learned throughout life, and it is that servant leadership is my position. Any dads out there feeling it? Okay. I'd like to start this conversation about servant leadership by telling a story. It's a story about a young woman. Her marriage is in shambles. She has two young children, and she's quickly losing hope. Now, she recognizes the place where she's heading, and she decides one day that she wants to make a change. So one Sunday morning, she gets up, packs her kids in the car, and she makes her way right here to X Church. Now, during her experience that morning, there were many servant leaders along the way that helped to make this young woman feel welcome, starting out in the parking lot with the parkers, the greeters at the front door, people serving at X Kids, more greeters at these sanctuary doors, someone who helped her up to her seat. She got to listen to some great worship, hear a life-giving message, and then after service, guess what? She makes her way over to the landing where another friendly person gives her a gift and a warm welcome to our church. Now, in the weeks to come, she visits Next Steps. She attends Welcome to the X. She even joins a circle. But most importantly, this young woman is changing on the inside. She is starting to find hope again. She is starting to understand what a true relationship with Jesus, her Savior, is all about. If it had not been for servant leaders along the way that made her feel welcome, provided care for her children, invited her into a group, who knows where she'd be today. This was not a made-up story. This girl, probably here this morning, I'm not sure which service yet, her name's Miranda. Many of you saw her get baptized on these screens just a month ago. I would like to take a moment and thank all of you who are currently servant leaders for everything you do to make a place, an environment where true life change like that of Miranda's can occur. We could not do what we do as a church without you. And so thank you. You know, this idea of servant leadership is not a new concept. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he talked all the time about servant leadership. Uh, one of those times, uh, he, well, he would often say this. He would often say, uh, if you want to be a leader, you must first be a servant. And one of those specific times was, in, uh, was recorded in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. I'm going to repeat a verse Hunter read, I think. Uh, and we're going to start on verse 25. It should be on the screen. 
But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about servant leadership. Jesus lived out servant leadership. Uh, of course, the classic example of this was where he washed his disciples' feet. Washing feet at that time was the job of a servant. But Jesus humbled himself and served those that he led. And he taught them to do the same as well. This wasn't the only time Jesus served others. Think about the times he fed the multitudes. Think about all the people he healed Jesus was always meeting the needs of the people. He was always serving. And he never treated anyone as if they were inferior. He would go into the homes of the tax collectors, like Zacchaeus that Janice talked about. He had an in-depth conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. He would often let the little children come to him. You see, these were the marginalized in that society. They were the outcasts or the unimportant. Yet those were the people that Jesus gravitated to. Now, there was one act of service that Jesus did that made all of the others pale in comparison. And it is why I choose to serve. I'm going to go back and I want to reread the last verse of the passage from earlier. It's Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that the greatest display of servant leadership all time was the cross. Jesus, the very Son of God, allowed himself to be beaten and hung on a Roman cross to die, and he did it for me, for my sins, for my salvation. And that is why I serve out of gratitude for what Jesus did for me. But he didn't just do it for me. He did it for you, for your sins, for your salvation. So I'd like to close with a challenge to you. Make servant leadership your position out of gratitude for what he did for you. The lost are our passion. Jesus would leave the 99 to find the one. So will we. We were lost, but now we're found. 
Therefore, we do whatever it takes to reach those far from God. We believe church should be a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the saints. We are unapologetic about reaching people who are far from God. We do everything with this person in mind. This is what fuels our faith. The loss are our passion. It was just a few days before Mother's Day 2011. My son Samuel was six years old, just turned six, and he was in kindergarten. Uh, kindergarten just ended, and my son was nowhere to be found. He was lost. My wife, my three daughters, uh, all of his friends couldn't find him. We did not know if he was sick, if he was hurt, if he was confused, if he had been kidnapped. We did not know if he was dead or alive. My son was lost. So my wife calls me. I had an extra busy day at work, but she calls me and she says, hey, we can't find Samuel. So I broke about every traffic law there is, getting from my office to the school. I get about halfway there because I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm worried, I'm freaked out. I simply just want my son in my arms again. My wife calls me about halfway there. Through her tears, she says, we found our son. You see, a friend of ours saw him walking down the street. Uh, she parked her car. She ran after him. She grabbed him. She held him and sat in somebody else's front yard. And she called my wife and said, we've got your son. You can come get him. So my wife and daughters, they go find our son. They are holding him. They're hugging him. They're loving on him. They're saying, you're not in trouble. We love you. Um, you're safe with us now. You see, my son was lost, but then he got found. You know, this is a small example, I think, of what God experiences every day. You see, uh, Jesus um, is looking for us who are lost. It's very easy for us to get lost. Uh, it seems very simple uh, for us to lose our way. As a matter of fact, you may be here today, and you might describe yourself as someone who was lost. Uh, maybe last night didn't go real well for you. Um, uh, maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you're lost in your spiritual life, or maybe you think God hates you. Well, I can declare on the authority of God's word, that is not the case. Uh, he is desperately seeking the lost. And because God is so passionate about the lost, we here at X Church, the lost are our passion as well. Another example of that is Jesus Christ. When he was walking the planet, um, he was demonstrating the heart of God. And we see that demonstration in three stories. They're called parables that he told. And in those parables, he shows us the heart of God. And he is telling us that, hey, those inside the church need to be caring about the lost. They need to care for the needs of the lost. And uh, I find it interesting that there are four components uh, in this uh, stories that Jesus tells, these three stories. The first one is the lost. The first story is about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and lost one. The second is about a woman who had ten coins and she lost one. And the third story is about a dad who had two sons and he lost one. The sheep probably just got lost, uh, just got confused. Uh, the second was probably accidentally lost the coin and the 
third, the son chose to walk away. He chose to get lost, but it didn't matter. Uh, all, the result was the same. All of them were lost, and God the Father desperately wanted to find them. The second L we see is the looking. Uh, they started looking for them. Actually, the shepherd, the Bible says, goes after the lost sheep. The woman searched carefully for the lost coin, and the father, when the son started to come back, uh, Jesus tells in the account, uh, when he saw him a long way off, he saw him and went after him. He was looking for the lost. The third thing we see is the locating. Hey, all of these three stories have a great ending. Uh, they were all located. They were all found. They were found because they were desperately looking for Jesus. Uh, they were desperately being sought after. Uh, they were waiting for someone to come, and that someone was God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit. They were located, and maybe uh, you came here today, or you're online, and you feel lost, and you're sensing something in your spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, and He's calling you to Himself. He's saying that you have been located. And the third L might be a little bit of a stretch, but it's a luau, right? Uh, we throw a party when the lost are found. Uh, a party happens. I know that because Jesus said heaven throws a party when the lost are found. Uh, the angels celebrate when the lost are found. And friends and family go crazy when the lost are found uh, because that is the entire purpose of him coming to this planet. We throw a party. And there's literally hundreds of examples of that here at X Church. One just a few weeks ago was a young lady named Stacy. Uh, Stacy had been beaten, raped, starved, homeless, and uh, she was uh, mentally abused. She overdosed twice back in 2017. Uh, she uh, relapsed again, and she desperately called out, God, just take my life. But God had another plan. She went back into rehab. She reconnected with God. And then she came back to X Church. And we got the privilege of baptizing her just a few weeks ago. You see, Stacy was lost, and then she was found through the power of God, and we celebrate that. Um, and it's exactly why we do what we do here at X Church. It's why we have an At The Movies series. It's why we do outreach like XO Week, and it's why, um, you might not know this yet, but we're going to throw a mega block party this Easter. And the reason we do it is because we're trying to attract the lost to our church family. It is why we do what we do. You see, we reject religion and we embrace relationship here at X Church. And that should be celebrated. You see, it is why we do what we do because God is passionate about the lost. The lost are our passion too. About a week or so after that incident with my son, I said, hey son, uh, what was going on? Uh, why did you uh, take off. Why did you run away? He said, well, I got into a little kindergarten trouble, and so I thought I would just go back to Ethiopia, which is my native country. I was on my way to the airport. And then he said, Dad, was I going the right way? The short answer is no, but I didn't want to repeat performance, so I said, well, son, there's a lot of airports in this area, and there's a lot of ways to get there. You see, there's a lot of ways for us to get lost, 
And there's a lot of ways to get there. But none of them are too far or too high or too deep or too long that God the Father won't come searching for you and find you if you want to be found. And uh, that's what we celebrate. And God does it. He's motivated because of another L word, and that word is love. That's what motivates God. He loves everyone he's made so much that he pursues them and seeks the lost till they can be found. And because God is so passionate about finding the lost, the lost are our passion too. Maybe you came here today and you feel that sense of loss and you see that God desperately wants to find you. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Let's ask God to find us right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your willingness to look for us who are lost. Thank you for locating us. And then thank you for saving us. Thank you for your willingness to forgive us. We love you and we thank you for being a God of love who looks for the lost until they're found. And we celebrate with all of heaven because of the lost being found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, let's celebrate all of those uh, lost who were found here at X Church Online as well. Thank you for participating here this morning. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.